0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here. I'm Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Parkway Church. And if you're visiting with us, welcome. We're delighted to have you here on this beautiful uh, morning. It's been felt like spring this week, hasn't it? Yeah, it's just felt wonderful to uh, enjoy the warmth. A bit wet, but it's great. Well, we want to celebrate a little bit this morning um, because uh, yesterday was uh, uh, a Great day for um, Jericho Road and for Ottawa, um, for Capital City Mission. They uh, were part of the cold sign of the year, and many of us participated in raising funds for them. And I'm pleased to announce that uh, so far there'll still be money coming in, but so far we raised, uh, along with others, uh, $74,000 for Jericho Road and Capital City Mission. So it's, yeah, it's great. Now I was the, um, I was the captain of the Parkway Church team and our Parkway Church team did really amazingly. $3,700 as of this morning. So that's great. Yeah. And then there were several other teams that were led by people from Parkway, because we kind of divided up, you know, divide and conquer. There was a Mosaic group. There was, uh, Lydia had a group, and Hope had a group. And all together, from the Parkway groups, from the group, uh, uh that were led by Parkway people, over $9,000 was raised. So that's great. <laughs> and what's going to happen with that money is it's going to be used to, uh, to help these, uh, charities that were working with the homeless. The hungry, the hurting, in our downtown core, um, uh, Jericho Road reaches out particularly to men with mental illness and uh, with addiction issues, and uh, has a recovery program and a housing program for people uh, that are uh, that are mentally ill and uh, need that kind of supervision. And so, it's a great work that they do, and as well, does they serve uh, meals to people on the street. And uh, in their coffee house program. And uh, Capital City Mission, we've been supporting them for a long time. They're kind of, kind of a, they're a drop-in center right down in the downtown core. They're open every day. And people are able to access help there on a, on a regular basis. And uh, we just are pleased that both of these charities are going to be able to keep operating because of the support of people like you uh, that uh, gave to them. So thank you very, very much. We appreciate that. Well, we're going to start a new series this morning, Beyond Facebook, we called it, because we're talking about friendships. And uh, friends, the word friends has taken on a whole new uh, meaning in our modern world. You know, friends used to be people that you knew, right? Now, friends, you don't have to know them. Friends, You can be friends with celebrities, you can be friends with politicians, you can be friends with all kinds of people that you've never even met because we have this thing called social media and all the way through Facebook, through Twitter, through through, uh, uh, Instagram and uh, LinkedIn and all these different uh, social media platforms, you can be friends and you can be following the lives of people that you don't even know. And, uh, and so we can, we call these people friends. I think Hope and I share a Facebook page and we have some 300, 400 friends, uh, in Facebook and some of them I don't even know. Um, and, uh, they know us or they know what we do or they're involved in so some way. We're interconnected with them in some kind of way, but we continue to add friends on our Facebook, uh, account. And, uh, I don't know about you, but, uh, that isn't really the kind of friendship that uh, has a lasting impact upon my life. Yeah, it's interesting to see what people are up to, uh, what recipes they're cooking, you know? I mean, that's the kind of thing we find out on Facebook, right? What are they cooking? What are they buying? What are they shopping for, you know? All those kind of things that, that, that's not really friendship. You're learning about people, but you don't really know them, and they don't know you, and they're not really adding value to your life, and you're not adding value to their life. It's just kind of... Uh, It's kind of just a way to know about people. But I believe that friendship, true friendship, has the potential of having an impact upon ourselves and upon the people that we're friends with. In fact, lives have been transformed because of certain friendships. On your connection card, we're asking you uh, over these next few weeks to talk about, maybe just give us a few lines about some people or a person that has made a lasting impact on your life. Someone that has, has was your friend or you were in some kind of relationship with, and they made a lasting impact upon your life. Maybe they were a teacher. Maybe they were a Sunday school teacher. Maybe they were um, a, a, a pastor. You know, I remember when I was... Um, <clears throat> I was about twelve or thirteen years old. Um, our pa- our church, my home church, got their first got our first youth pastor. We didn't have a youth pastor, and I was just at that age where that just interested me. And uh, our our youth pastor came, and he was really cool. Um, and he he was um, he what he did is he really wanted to connect with young people. And so he had this uh, now this is about nineteen seventy two. Okay. He got this big van. Like, you know, a full-size cargo van. He painted it yellow. He carpeted all the inside of it with shag carpet. And we used to ride around in his van all the time. In fact, sometimes he even helped us skip school and we went riding in his van. (laughs) But he was really cool. And, uh, and his wife, and, and I spent so much time in their home, and, and, uh, and spent so much time with him, and, uh, and he just had such an impact upon my life at that very crucial stage in my life. And even still, when I meet him from time to time, he lives in uh, Uganda now. Um, you might know him. His name is Gary Skinner, and his wife is Marilyn, and they uh, are pastoring in Kampala for years, and have a choir called Watoto and that travel the world, but he was my youth pastor and had a really great impact upon my life at that time. So you see, when you make friends with people, even if it's just for a season, and you really pour into their life, you can have a tremendous impact, transformational impact. You can add value to their life. Gary and Marilyn Skinner added value to my life when I was a very impressionable young person. And they uh, allowed me to share their life for a season. And uh, so that's the kind of friendship we're talking about. want to go beyond Facebook for friendships and uh, look at things. You know, <clears throat> part of what we're talking about in the kind of friendships we want to develop with the people around us is that we want to impact them with what we call the good news. Bible calls it the gospel. That's kind of the terminology we've used over the years. The gospel, which really just means good news. We have good news to share with people around us. You know, if I was able to, uh, if I found a diet that um, that would help every person in the world, uh, you know, uh, become healthier. And uh, you know, I I learned how you could actually become healthy in uh, in three days. <laughs> Um, and I, I would want to share that with people. Or if I discovered the cure for cancer, I would want to share that with people because that's good news. And the truth of the matter is, is that many of us have experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ in our life and the gospel, the good news, and that's something that we should share with people around us. But a lot of us are a bit hesitant to do that in our relationships and our friendships, and we want to encourage you that, you know, when you have this good news, when you know the good news, you'll want to share it with other people, and there's a way that you can do it. Some of us have, you know, we think, well, I don't want to impose my beliefs on other people, and it's not about imposing your beliefs on other people. You know, past, we've called that, the word we've used in the, in the church, we've called that evangelism. And evangelism for some people means, well, like Billy Graham is an evangelist and he stands at the front of a great big stadium and he opens the Bible and he reads some scripture verse and he talks about um, Jesus and he talks about the power of God to change your life and then he invites people to come forward and someone prays with them and counsel them and they, you know, they become Christians and that's what evangelism is about. It's a very impersonal kind of evangelism. It's been very effective in the past it's been very, very effective. When I was, you know, that same time in my life when, uh, when I was uh, hanging around with Gary and Marilyn Skinner, the, um, <clears throat> the, the, the word on the street was that we were going to win the world for Jesus through television evangelism, through those TV evangelists. Well, they haven't done a great job of it, really, because a lot of those TV evangelists gave Jesus a bad name over time. Not that all of them have. Some of them are very good. But we're called to share that good news as individuals. And that's part of the spiritual friendship that we can have with people is just bringing them good news. If you have good news, you want to share it, don't you? You want to share with them the good news. So we want to start today about talking about being linked in by listening. Be linked in by listening. The key to any good friendship and having an impact in a transformational way on someone's life is learning to be a good listener. Understanding and knowing people comes in, uh, by listening to them, by hearing their story, by empathizing and sympathizing and understanding where they come from and who they are and how their life is played out on a daily basis. To do the, In this series, what we're going to do is we're going to go to six stories in the scriptures. And uh, we're going to review these stories. And today's story comes from the book, uh, book of Acts in the Bible, Acts chapter 2. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can look at it, or you can look at um, <clears throat> the app on your phone that you might use as a Bible, or however you want to do it. But if you look at Acts chapter 2, it tells the story of what happened when the church first began. Now let me just kind of set the stage for the story. Jesus has... Uh, has has been crucified. He rises on the third day. He shows himself to the apostles. And then for a period of several weeks, Jesus is kind of seen from time to time. Up to 500 people saw him at one time. Jesus is here, and and he's back on earth, and he's living, and he's eating, and he's doing all those things. People know that he's alive. And then Jesus, um, the Bible says, that he goes away into the heavens. And he says, I'll come back again, but in the meantime, he says to his disciples, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you and something remarkable is going to happen and we're going to start a whole new age. And, uh, and that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> the Bible says that the apostles, 12 of them, um, because they replaced Judas, were together in one room. It was an upper room, it was called, it was, so it was on the second floor. <laughs> All right. It was on the second floor of a building and uh, probably didn't, you know, had arches or something like that. You know, had a roof over it, had arches, but no windows. It wasn't closed in. It was open. You could hear what was going on. And they had gathered there for several days and they were praying and they were waiting like Jesus asked them to do. Wait for something to happen. Well, in Acts chapter 2, it says something happened. All of a sudden, as they were praying and they were asking God to, to visit them, then the, the the Bible records um, that something really amazing began to happen. First of all, they heard the sound of a wind. Um, you know, I was laying in bed last night. I could hear the sound of the wind. And they heard the sound of the wind, you know, that whistling of a wind. And then it says the next thing that happened, but they didn't feel any wind. They only heard it. And then it's, the next thing it says that what appeared to be like little flames on their head. This is weird, eh? That's what it says. This is what the the first-hand accounts say. So some kind of light. Now, I don't know how you would describe it. I don't know exactly what it was. Was it a flame, like a little candle? You know, when I was a kid in Sunday school, they had little flannel graphs, and they always showed like a little candle flame on top of the people's heads, so every person was like a little candle. (laughs) But if you were, if you were a, um, uh, a first-century person and you'd never seen a light bulb, you might call it a flame. If you saw a radiance coming out of someone's head, you might say it looked like a flame. We don't know exactly what it was, but it said what appeared to be a flame, some kind of light appeared on the head of every person in the room. And then it says that they began to speak in languages that they had never learned, various languages that they had never heard. They began to speak in those languages. The interesting thing is that people outside this building with the open windows, probably arches, they could hear what was going on. And when they heard these people speaking in these languages, they recognized the languages. You see, it was around the time when a lot of people were visiting. It was tourist season in Jerusalem and a lot of Jews from all over the Roman Empire had come to Jerusalem to, um, to celebrate their religious feasts. And so they had lived in other parts of the Roman Empire, so they knew the languages of other parts of the Roman Empire, but they were Jews as well. So when they listened, they could hear people speaking in the language of their hometown. So they weren't just babbling. They were actually saying understandable things. And this was kind of weird, and people began to say, "What is going on in that room over there?" The word on the street was, "What is going on in there?" And people began to surmise what was going on. They began to say things like, "Well, they're probably drunk. They must be drinking, and they're just babbling away, and it's gone crazy up there." And uh, so, uh, this is this all going on there, and. uh, Peter hears the commotion. Peter is kind of the lead disciple at this point in time. He's kind of the leader of the pack. He hears what's going on and he goes outside and he addresses the crowd outside who are asking, what does this mean? And Peter begins by saying, well, first of all, you need to know these people are not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And Normally, people don't drink that early in the morning. So, these guys aren't drunk. What's happening is there's a visitation of God that's taking place. And He begins to tell the story, the good news, the gospel to these Jews all outside of this room. He begins to tell them the story. He begins with the prophets. And he tells them from the perspective of David. We read a psalm of David this morning, their their great king, their hero leader of the Jewish people. He uses David's words, and he begins to tell them the story and brings together all the threads of the story of Jesus and together. And then at the end of his message, he says, now who wants to become a follower of Jesus? And the Bible says on that day that 3,000 people said, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And they went and they baptized them in water right away. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2, if you didn't know. That's an interesting thing because what we want to learn from this is how, G- how Peter connected with the people, how he linked in to what was going on in, their, in the experience of the day, what was going on, these these. these Fantastically weird events that were going on. How he linked that with the story of Jesus and actually brought a message to them uh, in a that transformed their lives. You see, that's the kind of impact we want to have on people. It's not about it's not about what we decide is going to be the end result. It's the fact that whatever our friendship is with people, whatever our relationship with people is, we want to be able to connect with them in a way that we leave them with something better than what we came with. That we actually put something into their lives that has value. You see, Peter brought to them the message of Jesus in a powerful way. He connected the dots of what was happening in that morning and to the things that had happened before that and then what was going to happen now. And he actually impacted the lives of these people in a powerful way. So I want to talk to you about some of the things that we can do To connect like Peter did with these people. First of all, if you're going to have spiritual friendships, if you're going to have transformational relationships, if you're going to add value to people's lives, you need to take the first step. You need to go to them. You need to be proactive in your seeking out relationships with people around you. You know, in Acts chapter 2 verse 14, it says, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews, and residents of Jerusalem. Peter took the initial step. He went forward into the lives of these people. He actually got out of the upper room where he was, and he went out on the street, or maybe he went out on a balcony, or somehow he took the initial step and went out to begin to explain to them the things that were happening. Happening. You know, when Peter was doing this, he was, he was actually going out to the people that actually had crucified Jesus. He was going to the Jewish people. These people, he could have considered his enemies. These are people that he could have, been, he could have considered that he should be fearful of because they've killed Jesus. Maybe they'll kill him too. But Peter lays aside his fear. He lays aside his, his own inhibitions and he takes the initial step and begins to walk out. Peter also, in going out to them, he identifies himself with them. He does not keep himself separate from them, but he rather identifies with them the things that he has in common. He says, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. He says, friends and neighbors. He identifies with them in a way that he can. He is a Jew. They're Jewish. Despite the fact that the Jews killed Jesus... Peter still identifies himself with that group of people. He doesn't pull himself away from them. He identifies with them in their culture because he understands their culture. He also sees that they're his neighbors. He lives in Jerusalem as well at this point in his life. And he, he identifies them as his neighbors. He takes what he has in common and he steps out with that to gain the audience with these people. Sometimes as as Christ followers, we have developed an us-and-them mentality. The way the church has developed, and I, mean, I don't mean this church uh, alone, but the church worldwide, it's kind of developed and it's us against them. We kind of divide the world up in different ways. You know, there are Christians over here, there are Muslims here, there are Hindus here, there are Buddhists here. Uh, we, or we divide ourselves up by our race. There are white people here, there are dark people here, or there are black people here, there are, are, are Asian people here. Or we divide ourselves up by our languages. You speak English, I speak French, you speak Arabic, I speak Chinese. Cantonese or Mandarin, they don't speak Chinese. You know, we divide people up and we we often have this us and them kind of thing. And sometimes we sit inside the church, those of us who are already followers of Christ, and we see ourselves as us and they are them. Peter doesn't do that. He doesn't see the division. What he does is he, he, brings, he brings out the common ground that they have, and he goes based on that. I think the impression of people that are outside, even of our church, outside of our church, the people I meet that uh, are not part of our church or not part of any church, when they see a church, they think it's for someone else, not for them. They think, when they drive past our church on Parkway Road here, they think, oh, that church is for the people that go to that church. And they don't think of it as a place where they can go or where they'd even want to go. There's a, there, there, our culture has developed an us-and-them kind of mentality where, where it's seen like our church building is something that's just for us. It's kind of like a country club, you know. You drive past one of those exclusive country clubs and you know that people have paid a membership fee to go there and they, they, um, you know, they, they're the only ones that are allowed to play golf at that country club and they can eat in their restaurant and they can, eat, they, can, they can enjoy all the benefits of that country club. And some people think that we just have like a country club in here. That what we have here is for us and for nobody else. Because there's developed in our society an us and them kind of way of thinking. The only way that that is going to be broken down is if we see ourselves as part of them. Like Peter, only if we see ourselves as being fellow Jews and fellow citizens, if we see ourselves as fellow humans, just ordinary people living ordinary lives, with Christ in our hearts, that we're following Christ, we're the same kind of people. And so it's our responsibility to initiate those kind of spiritual friendships, and to break down the wall between us and them. When you begin a friendship with someone, then you need to you need to uh, encourage what you find there. You know, Peter begins at a point where he he says. They're asking the question, what does this mean? What's going on here, they're asking. Uh, And Peter starts right there. He sees there's a curiosity in their experience in that moment. Some are surmising already that they're drunk. And so Peter says, let me explain to you what's going on. First of all, they're not drunk. He says it right off. They're not drunk. So when you begin a spiritual friendship and you begin to listen to people, you'll find out there are questions that they have. There are things that they're pondering about life and about faith and about eternity and about... uh, about, uh, There are huge questions about what... what is going on in the world, and, and what's God's role in the world? If God is a God of love, then why do so many people suffer? If, uh, if the Bible is true, why are there so many contradictions? Why, if, if, if Christians are right, why, why can't Muslims be right too? And, and there's all kinds of questions going around in the hearts and the lives and the minds of people. And we have to be able to meet them at the point where they have their own questions. Not combating them, not not arguing with them, but simply beginning at that very point. Uh, Paul, when he's talking to, to Timothy in uh, in Timothy chapter one verse six, he's writing a letter to a young preacher, and 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 what uh, Paul says to Timothy is he says, "You got to fan into flame the embers in your life, the gifts that you have," and. That's kind of the picture that we need to, we need to think about. When people have questions, they may be, to you, they may be silly questions. You may have a quick pat answer for them, but you shouldn't give it to them. You shouldn't just, you shouldn't just, shouldn't just disregard their questions. Peter didn't disregard their questions. He used that question as a jumping off point. So if you imagine, you know, you're at a campfire and you got, you know, you're trying to get the fire going, the wood's a little bit wet. You ever had that experience? Or you're not experienced that, you know, that kind of thing. And, but you see a little corner here where there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of uh, flame or a little coal that's going. What do you do? You, you, you fan it. Right? Get your little piece of paper and you fan it. You get more oxygen going over it and it begins to flare up. You need to find in a person's life in your, in, in your seeking out friendship with people, what are the questions that they have? What are the areas of interest that they have? What are the places where I can connect with them and I can actually begin to have an impact on their life? I can begin to fan into flame, pouring oxygen, pouring truth, pouring grace, pouring mercy onto that person's life so it begins to develop and fan into flame and something full-blown can happen in their life. The truth of the matter is, if God's at work in the lives of people around you and the friendships that you're going to develop with people, the spiritual friendships, the transformational friendships you're going to develop with people, you won't be the only one. You see, God is working. The Bible says that the the Holy Spirit is working in our world today and he's calling all people to himself. He's wooing them. He, he, He desires to bring truth and he wants to use you as an agent of his grace and of his mercy and of his love. But you're not the only person that he's going to be using. And chances are that person is going to be, their life is going to be touched by someone else or it's going to have already been touched by someone else or something that's already going on. There's questions. There's things happening in their heart and in their life. And you don't have to do everything for that person. You just have to fan into flame what you find there and work from that point. The next thing you need to do is you need to speak their language, not your language. Um, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, he says, No, what you see was predicted long ago. He says, They're not drunk. What you see here it was something that you, you should understand was predicted long ago. And that's when Peter goes into his discussion about what King David said in the Psalms and what Joel the prophet said and how he prophesied that this moment would come. You see, all of these people... Listening, they were Jews, and they had been taught by their rabbis. They had gone to the synagogues, and they understood what was going. They, they understood their own language. They understood their own culture. So Peter didn't start at the story of Jesus. In fact, Peter doesn't even quote Jesus' teaching. Peter leads them through the story of the gospel of the good news by beginning at what they already know. He speaks their language. You know, um, over the years, uh, Christians have developed their own kind of language. And it used to be that everybody understood our language because everybody had a Christian kind of background, in our culture anyway. Most people had gone to church when they were young, or they they, they certainly understood who Jesus was, they understood, you know, stories like Noah and the Ark, and Moses, and so, you know, you could talk about the Bible, or you could talk in those kind of terms, and people would understand what you were saying, because they had a background in that kind of thing. But today it's not the case. They call our society today post-Christian. It means we're past the Christian age. And a lot of people that you, are, you will become friends with in your life, you intentionally become friends with, won't understand the language of the Bible or that you learned in church. We throw around words like uh, salvation or uh, born again or, you know, all kinds of different evangelical, even talking about the Bible. You know, what does it mean to a person today when we say the Bible says? Back in the day when Billy Graham was preaching to crowds of thousands of people and he was broadcasting on television, one of the classic things that Billy Graham would say was, the Bible says. And people understood, they had a reverence for the Bible that was passed on to them as a heritage in their culture in North America and and in Western Europe. They understood The Bible says means it's an elevated kind of thing. It's an important scripture. It's it's the word of God. They understood that, but not today. A lot of people will ridicule the Bible. You say the Bible says, and they're not going to value what you're saying. You might as well say the New York Times says. For all they know, you're giving, you know, uh, reference to something that has no meaning to them. So we need to learn to speak their language. Now, it's not that the Bible is irrelevant. Obviously, I believe the Bible is the word of God. It's powerful. It has, it has a purpose. And we want, to, we want to understand the Bible. We want to be able to share the Bible. But we have to get down to where people can understand what we're talking about. Yesterday, I was listening to a podcast on epistemology. I didn't even know what epistemology was. But epistemology is how you know what you know. All right, And uh, it was interesting. But the guy, he's kind of a science guy, and he got talking about um, atoms and neutrons and protons and whatever else makes up an atom, whether they were particles or waves. And honestly, he lost me. You know, I took science up to grade 10. Then I, I, took, I took one year of physics in grade 11, and I came so close to failing that, I think it was a 54 in physics, and then in grade 12, I took, uh, I took um, chemistry, Hope and I were in the same class in chemistry, she wrote my study notes, <laughs> thanks Hope, I passed, you see, science is not my thing, not at all, and you start using scientific language in my presence, you lose me. It goes like right past me because it's not my language. Now, for some of you, that's the language you speak. You understand it. It's clear to you. But do you speak to me in science language or mathematical language? I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, X and Y never add up together. Talk to me about the humanities. Talk to me about sociology, about anthropology, about history. I get very interested in that kind of thing. I understand that language. We need to find out what language people are speaking and speak their language, not our language. Because we're the ones that are, are, are out to share the good news. So, you know, we don't talk to people today. When I When I talk to people about Becoming a Christian, let's say. I don't talk to them, would you like to get saved? I don't use that word. That's a word that was used when I was young. It was a good word. People understood it. They understood that salvation was something. They understood the idea of being saved. But now they say, saved from what? I'm not drowning. So when I talk to people now, I I talk about being a follower of Christ. One who patterns their life after the, 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 the likeness and the teaching of Jesus. I talk about submitting to Jesus' direction in my life. You know, so these are the kind of things, you know, I, I might say, you know, if someone says, well, how can I become a Christian? I might say to them, well, you need to open up your life to them, to, to Jesus, and begin to follow him. You need to invite him into your life, And let him become the director of everything you do. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. You know, back in the day when I was young, it was that you can uh, accept Jesus into your heart was the terminology. Later on, we talked about becoming part of the family of God because people understood families. Nowadays, people don't even understand families very well. They don't understand what a family is. in in the kind of sense we're talking about. So we have to come up with language that people understand if we're going to speak to them. Finally, and this is the main point of today's message, is we need to listen to them. Above all else, you have to be a good listener. And the way that you find out what kind of language people speak, where they're at, how you can relate to them, how you can relate to their story, what you have in common with them is by asking questions. You don't get to know people by telling them all about you. You get to know them by, telling, by hearing about them, asking questions, letting them hear your, uh, hearing their story. You know, Peter had the luxury in this story of knowing the people really well that were outside because he related to them culturally completely. He understood what it was to be a Jew. He understood what it was to be a resident of Jerusalem. He understood what motivated those people to be there at that very time in their life. And so Peter was immediately able to connect with them. But for many of us, we don't know a lot about the people around us. I uh, hang out with a group of people, and uh, we're working on a, on a play. Um, and... Um, and uh, um, I was sitting beside one of the, the women that uh, has a lead part in our, um, we were waiting for our turn to, to get on stage and for the practice, and I was sitting beside her and just began a conversation with her, began to ask her about some things, and she's, she, just, she plays some really dramatic parts, and, and, um, and uh, she actually, she's actually able to get tears coming from her eyes in these dramatic parts in our play. I said, how do you do that? She says, well, I'm going through a lot right now in my life, and it's not very hard for me to get tears come to my eyes. She said, my mother was just diagnosed, just after I got this part, my mother was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. So she said, for me, it's not very hard to get tears come to my eyes right now. It's a very easy thing this past week, she told the whole group what she's going through with her mom and, and her daughter's part of the, the, the show as well. And, you know, when you begin to know that about a person, you begin to understand about what they're going through in their personal life, you can then relate to them in a way that is, is meaningful. You know, I said to her, well, I remember my mom was diagnosed at one point with uh, lung cancer, and I said she recovered. You know, the, the treatment worked. And that for what it's worth, brought a little bit of comfort, but, you know, you, you then realize you have something in common with a person, but if you don't ask questions, if you don't actually sit beside someone and ask them questions, you'll never know them, and you'll never know what's making them, them, them what, what's going on in their life. How can you be a friend to someone you don't even know? Um, James gives us some really good advice in the book of James in the Bible. In James chapter 1, verse 19, he says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. One of the things that when we, we, uh, we get into, into friendships with people that maybe don't understand our faith, don't understand what we know about Jesus, don't see Jesus or the Bible the way we see them, uh, and we start getting friendly with them, um, and they start to explain, you know, express their opinion on things, spiritual matters or beliefs. Maybe it's, you know, creation and evolution. Maybe it's about some, some crucial social issues like abortion, and maybe you find, you'll find out that these people disagree with you, that from your faith perspective, you have a certain viewpoint and you feel that's very right and that they're wrong? Well, James is is giving some really good advice here. Be slow to speak, and don't get angry. Don't argue with people all the time. You don't have to defend God and the Bible. He's big enough. That's not the point. It's not convincing people... It's about the relationship that it's going to bring them. There was a time that maybe you could convince people through some kind of logical, rational argument, but it's, it's, you know, this world today, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to change the heart from the inside, and you have to have that relationship. You have to earn the trust of people. And that's, you don't get that trust by being defensive or argumentative or trying to prove your point all the time. It's just simply listening and saying, well, I can understand how you might feel that way. I feel a bit different about it, but, you know, I can, I can, I can go along with that, you, you know. I understand how you feel about that. You see, the point is not about winning something. It's about being a friend. When Peter was able to, to, to begin to earn their trust through his relationship, through what they had in common and all those things, he had, there was a really powerful outcome. Now, it happened all within a long time. Now, he preached a really long message that day, and it, but it happened really quickly because there was something really evidently happening there. But in the normal course of time and in our lives, these relationships take a lot of time to develop. And the point is not to get people to a point where they agree with you. The point is about getting people to a point where they are enlightened by the power of the Holy Spirit and that their life can be transformed in the way that God wants to do it. You know, even those people that, uh, that were converted that day and were baptized, 3,000 people, there was a lot of learning and growing for them to experience. There was a lot of mentoring that had to take place. There were a lot of changes in their thinking that had to take place. They weren't just overnight. I mean, the church went through a whole lot of discussions about a whole lot of things over a long time before everything got settled. Here's what I want to encourage you to do today. Maybe this, I want you to to think about this as we begin this series about friendships. And I want you to think about the people around you and think about someone that maybe you could get to know a little bit better. So, if you take out your connection card, I'm going to challenge you to do something here, okay? I want you to write the name of one person you want to just just Dedicate this person to God someone in your in your circle of acquaintance, maybe you don't know them you probably don't know them well yet, but someone maybe that's different than you, someone that lives a different life than you, someone maybe you work with you go to school with someone that you you uh, play sports with someone that you someone that you interact with on a regular basis, maybe it's someone that uh you know uh, that you um, Go to their place of business on a regular basis. Maybe it's your, your, uh, your hairdresser or your dentist or, you know, whatever. I'm going to give you a chance just to be quiet for a moment and to pray and ask the Lord to bring someone to your mind. And I want you to write their name on your connection card. I'm asking you to do this because I want you to be serious about this, okay? I want you to write their name on their connection card and put your name on it too, all right? And this is what I want you to, to agree that you're going to do before the Lord. You're gonna, this week, you're going to begin to pray for that person regularly. Pray for them regularly. Maybe you say, every time I see them, I'm just going to say a prayer for them. Every time I think about them, I'm going to say a prayer for them. I don't have to pray for an hour. Just pray for them. Just say, Lord, bless that person. Lord, touch that person. Lord, enlighten that person. Holy Spirit, speak to that person. Then I want you to decide that you're going to take some action and you're going to begin to ask meaningful questions of that person. You're just going to take time to listen to their story by beginning to ask meaningful questions about them. Not prying questions. Not none of your business kind of questions. Meaningful questions, but ask questions. And then thirdly, that you'll begin to listen to what they have to say. You'll be slow to speak. You'll be slow to get angry, for sure. But you'll be very quick to listen to everything that person is saying. And as you do those things, as you ask questions, as you listen, and as you pray, I believe that you have the chance to develop a friendship with that person that will be, would add value to your life and to their life and could have transformational consequences for both of you that will last for eternity. So we're going to take a moment and just be quiet, and I want to ask you to take out that connection card. I want you to write down a name, and then we're going to pray. Okay? So let's be quiet for a moment. Now, just for the sake of accountability, uh, the person that, uh, if I had a connection card up here, well, I guess I do. I don't have a pen, though. Um, if I were going to write on my connection card today, the person, would— their name would be Roger. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be challenged in our heart, Lord, to become a true friend to people around us, Lord, we know we can't be friends with everyone. We know we can't really have meaningful relationships with every person on our Facebook feed or every person that we run across in the grocery store or every person that we come across in our, our daily routines of life. Not every person in our class, not every person in our, in our workplace, Lord. We can't be f- really have meaningful relationships with all of them, but Lord, we can't have meaningful relationships with one, two, three, or four, maybe even five of them relationships where we can add value to their life, where we can actually impact them in a way that will have eternal consequences. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to zero in on some people, Lord, that maybe you're already at work in their lives, maybe you're already, they have questions or they're seeking. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to find those people and to really be a good friend to them, that we would begin to add value to their life by carefully listening to them, by carefully understanding them, and finding places, Lord, where we can connect with them and we can have input and impact in their lives. I pray that you'd help us to do that today, Lord. Lord. Lord, I take, right, and I take time right now, Lord, to pray for um, my friend's mom who has stage four lung cancer. I don't know her, Lord. I've never met her. I know her daughter, and I know her granddaughter a little bit. But I pray, Lord God, that you would just touch that woman with your grace. I pray that you'd send people to her that can minister love and care to her. I pray that you bring support to her family that are surrounding her, Lord, in this time of difficulty. And I pray, Lord, that, God, you would uh, bring healing into their lives, physical, emotional, and spiritual healing into every aspect of their life. I pray for each person here, Lord God, that you would challenge us and encourage us in our own daily life to continue to be uh, listening carefully. To the people around us. In Jesus' name, Amen.